Hello and welcome to the Property Podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We're both property people running our own businesses. This podcast is just us chatting as we often do about anything and everything property. Quick reminder, if you do want to reach out and contact us, please contact us on Twitter at bizofproperty. That's at B-I-Z of property. Or contact us via the page on thebusinessofproperty.com. That's the contact page on thebusinessofproperty.com. We would love to hear from you. Now, on to today's matters. And recently, Simon was talking about arranging viewers via some online-only portals, those being Strike and Purple Bricks. There was a third, which was a bricks-and-mortar agent. But Simon, you were telling me that you have finally arranged some viewings and have you actually been on viewings what's the current situation i have i've actually been to look at some houses that i could potentially buy <laughs> that's me clapping well done <laughs> thank you <laughs> to to spoil the the punchline of this so i i am not buying either of the properties that i've <laughs> been to look at <laughs> but i thought it would be interesting to to chat about the experiences and comparisons between these these two agents that are providing online focused processes and 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 also perhaps a little bit about the properties and why I'm not going to be buying them and and what I was thinking about as well while I was looking around and, and things like that so it seems we've got two to look at where, where should we start Stuart would you like purple bricks or strike first let's start with strike that's where we started before nothing like a bit of consistency <laughs> So, strike. A very quick recap. I had phoned up to arrange this viewing, and I'd, I'd offered a couple of times when I was available, and then a little bit after that, they got back to me and confirmed one of them. They had then been sending me text information to, to confirm that. They had not been emailing me. Interesting point. We'll come to that in a moment. But the text confirmed the viewing, so I turned up at the, the property. They're information about the viewing confirmation had included a person's name for the person I was meeting. But they had not said who this person was, as in, was it an agent or a a local representative of strike? Or was it the vendor? And this property was also possibly tenanted. So another third option here could have been that it was actually with the tenant. But I had no idea who this person was other than their name. Didn't know who it was. So so that was one of the the first things when, when I got there was to to try and find out who they were. And it turned out they were actually the vendor, which is which is excellent. I think it's, it's brilliant being shown around by the vendor, especially if the vendor is is not actually living there, which is this case they were acting as a landlord. So they were a little bit detached from the property, which is which is excellent because you can discuss some of the issues a bit more openly. So so this was brilliant. Meeting the vendor, they were able to give me sort of history of the property why it was on the market. I'd seen before that this had been on the market last year, and then I had assumed it had been sold and fallen through, and and now it was, was back on the market. But in actual fact, they put it on the market, listed as tenanted property for property investors only, and he said they'd had almost no interest and certainly no offers. So what they'd actually decided to do at the end of last year, sort of going into the, the Christmas season and things, they decided to just take it off the market and then bring it back onto the market in, in the spring. 
so so it hadn't actually sold and been and fallen through so it's quite interesting that it it didn't attract that interest so the, the the property hadn't fallen through but it was now back on the market and this time they had chosen to list it without mentioning the tenant which was one of the things i was sort of trying to find out when i phoned up and couldn't find out but i was able to talk to the the vendor and there there is still a tenant living there it is still tenanted and having checked with the the vendor that tenant is actually interested in staying on potentially as well so it it could well be purchased as a an already up and running investment property so there's lots of things that were were tempting there we we can dig into sort of what was good and what was bad and what i spotted as a going as i was going around the the property and things but just thinking about the strike elements of it first something that the the, the, the vendor mentioned to me while we were chatting was that they have tried the strike add-on thing that enables or provides, should I say, viewings. So a, a strike local agent or representative or whatever would do the, the viewings for them. And they, they've concluded that they basically just don't work. The person coming in doesn't know anything about the property, can't talk to the people viewing knowledgeably about what's going on and they've now concluded that they're they're not going to do that anymore they're going to do the viewings themselves simply because they just didn't think that that service from strike was up to scratch they said that they their local strike contact is currently dealing with a very wide area geographically some hundreds of properties are sort of their properties to be be the representative of and they said that they weren't but I don't think they were the person who would actually do the viewings, but even that contact within strike for the the seller was looking after so many properties they didn't have the the in-depth property knowledge either so so I thought that was quite interesting that 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 sort of level of service just wasn't quite there with strike, and the vendor has decided to to take that viewing role on again, and thankfully they live locally still, so they they're actually in a position to do that. Mm. It's really interesting, and we we mentioned this on um, on the on the first episode where you talk about this, which is episode one two seven, just for reference. And we I think we both shared concern, but my concern was when you're offering something for free and it said everything was optional extra, extras, that service wouldn't be there. And you're kind of saying, well, you know, it's it, it didn't work for him, but I, and he's local, or he, he or she, sorry, you know, the the, the vendor is local, but. You know, if you're if you're taking a viewing service, then you know that that's a that's a key component of a, a property sale, isn't it? So that w- that would be a real concern for me if I if if Strike were my company. Yeah, exactly. When when the vendors there and they're able to do it, then that that's great, and I think that's brilliant from a purchaser's point of view as well. But if they're not willing, or they don't want to, or they don't feel confident doing that, or indeed they're not local enough to do that, then you've got to have a viewing facility as part of your your sales offering for for an agent or an agent alike business and it sounds like at least in this example strikes just isn't up to scratch for that so we've got a couple of directions this conversation could go in should we talk about purple bricks and the experience there for for comparison or or should we talk about the properties themselves and and what i what i thought of those where, where do you fancy going next Stuart? Well, let's just talk about the the comparison with Purple Bricks. So we've got, you know, the, the two experiences that you've had and, 
yeah, and then we'll talk about where you're at with the properties. Okay, so Purple Bricks. I couldn't book the viewing by phone, but I went online and booked that viewing there. Very simple process. I just chose a specific time that was available, and then they confirmed it by email and text. All good. They were actually specific in their contacts. They said I was viewing with a with the local property expert, I think they called it, but anyway, an agent effectively. And again, gave me the name. So I turned up at the property and was greeted at the door by by the local property expert. And they they did actually seem to be fairly expert. It was it was good. I mean the, the property itself was actually very well presented and it was completely empty, the vendor wasn't there or anything, but, but obviously it is, it is still their home. And the the agent was was very good, showing me around, very knowledgeable about the property, information about the area, a bit of background on things, and also about the the, the vendor's situation. Yeah, it, it was it was everything you you'd hope from a a well informed agent based viewing. Really, that obviously walked around the property, showed me different elements of the property. They knew where the boiler was. They knew where where other sort of services and panels and things were and all, all the sort of normal things you would, would check. And also obviously pointing out the, sort of the, the nice features of the, the properties you go around and all that sort of thing as well. So sort of selling a bit. And and at the end, we were able to have a, a lovely little chat as well, just about the, the property and the area and, and indeed about their, their role in Purple Bricks as well. So they are actually a, a local property expert. They work part-time. They only actually do viewings at, at the weekend. And they said that, that that fits better with their schedule. And there's actually a lot of flexibility for, for them working within in Purple Bricks. They they work part-time, viewings at the weekend, and then some, some follow-up and phone calls and stuff at, at other times. And they cover a fairly wide area, sort of geographically speaking. But I don't think there is sort of masses of properties within that. But they 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 certainly whether it was because they, they kept better notes or because whether they've been personally involved in, in this property or not, I don't know. But they they did obviously know details of the property around the property, being able to point things out, and also about the, the vendor's situation. So they were able to explain that they were moving out of the area, they'd already found somewhere to buy, and in actual fact, the property I was viewing had previously fallen through. They didn't know why it had fallen through, but they, as in, not just that the agent didn't know. The agent ha- had obviously sort of knowledge of the process that had happened, but that nobody knew why it had fallen through. The buyers had just said that they they were no longer going ahead with the the purchase, and had then gone gone completely radio silent. So it's obviously a bit bit concerning when that happens. But, but there you go. And now the the vendors were in a bit of a a difficult situation because they had their purchase. That was now stuck because their their sale had fallen through, and that's why the the property come back onto the market and been reduced a little bit. So the agent was was very upfront in saying that it, the the sellers were in a difficult situation, but also that, that they couldn't be that flexible on price because obviously they they've got something that they're buying and they they need the the funds to do that. So, so yeah, it's a very different viewing experience because it's a vendor versus agent. But in actual fact, it was surprisingly good i think for an online estate agent that you perhaps wouldn't necessarily expect to have the the local knowledge well based on what you said I, and the way you said it 
I'm detecting a much more positive experience from Purple Bricks than the one you had with Strike in terms of just being able to get to see the property. And it's really interesting to get the vendor feedback as well from Strike. Although this isn't explicitly about the agents, obviously my ears prick up when I hear the stories behind some of the the elements. And I know we're moving on to the to houses, but what was the seller's issue that made them desperate yet inflexible? I, I think it's simply that their their purchase, the property they're wanting to buy, their their sellers, God, there's too too many buyers and sellers involved here, but they were being put under pressure by them. So they, they were they. In fact, I think the, the agent said they'd actually been given a deadline to get the process rolling again, or they were going to lose the the property they were trying to buy. Okay, yeah, it's a tough situation because, yeah, in those situations, as we know in our experience unless you find a, the right buyer very very quickly if you need to reduce time you, you need to reduce cost as well you know if you need someone to move quickly that's uh, it's going to pull a lever so overall just in terms of before we're moving into your your thoughts uh, your overview thoughts on the properties and why you're not moving forward with buying your feeling about each of those estate agents because it may surprise people to learn that there are some properties when i see them with a certain agent even if i were interested in the property i no longer click on it in your experience how do you feel about if you now see a property with a strike logo on it would that would you be more or less inclined to progress with with even a viewing i think i'd be perfectly happy to go ahead with with inquiries and viewings with either strike or purple bricks moving forwards if with strike, I think I would have sort of slightly lower expectations with, from the viewing. So if it turns out to be with the vendor, then that's probably going to be great. If it turns out to be with their their local agent, then it's it's going to probably be not so great from from the sounds of it. But I, I won't know that in advance either. The system doesn't seem to to differentiate from the information it gives you as a, a buyer. So it, it it wouldn't put me off trying. But yeah, I would have to accept that it, it may not uh, may not be quite as good. Yeah, and, and given that estate agency is predicated on getting houses to sell, I'd be worried for Strike's business model because based on the information you've given me, and of course I'd do my own research and have a look at it, but I'd be less inclined to sell with a company like Strike if I felt that the, the, the depth of support isn't there to, to sell my house because when we when we're marketing properties we always want it to 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 get maximum exposure get the right price and and sell it quickly and every time there is an obstacle like of you know even if there is an obstacle even arranging viewings that's a big problem in the operations of of that you know the mechanics of selling a property so that that would worry me you say that but diverting from what our, our plan was for this episode you are actually thinking in the future that you might sell a property with with a, an online agent, one I think called, called Vizem. And that's that sort of setup is similar to Strike in so much as they charge very little. It's not free, but they, they charge very little to provide basically just the, the listings. And you would be providing the the probably the text for that, certainly the photos for it, the, the EPC and all that surrounding information. And then also when the inquiries come in, you would be dealing with those probably actually replying to messages when they come in so there's perhaps a little bit of a barrier there there wouldn't be necessarily someone talking to them straight away from as as an agent 
And then when you'd get to the viewings, you'd be doing them yourself. At least I assume you would, rather than employing one of their, their local agents to provide an add-on. So that would be very similar to Strike. So why are you thinking that would work for you, but perhaps on a wider basis, others might want to be wary of it? No, I'm coming from the context where if Strike are offering that service, I'd expect it to be a service that works. I haven't reviewed Visum as a, as a software that does that. So my approach with Visum is I am doing it myself. So... It's, for, so for me, that's very different. Yeah, I, if I was going to do it myself, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to do this myself, fine. But if, in the example of Strike, they are offering viewings, but they haven't got the cap- actually the capability to do it, that would worry me. If I'd approach Strike as a, this is a, a listing site only, then that's fine. Yeah, I haven't researched Visum to know that they offer those other services. My experience was that they didn't. They do offer like you say, photos, floor plans and everything else, but I've, I've already got those, so I wouldn't do it. So, so you're, you're expecting different services. So you're thinking Visum would be a, a listing service effectively and you, you go into it knowing that you would be filling the gaps around that, whereas you, you feel that Strike is marketing themselves as a, an estate agent, a sales agent, and that perhaps they're not delivering on that really if people aren't expecting to fill in the gaps. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And a quick text just show me, yeah, Vi- so Visum is purely listing only. Yes, you can get the add-ons in terms of, you know, the photos and floor plans and everything else, but you would you would, would arrange everything else. And having done that before, that's fine. But that's when, you know, I tend to realise just where agents do make their money because that's a large part of the process is actually funneling inquiries, you know, and auditing those inquiries to find the, those of which actually have any merit and so on but uh, but yeah exactly so if, if strike is offering that as a service then then i'd expect that service to be one that uh, is able to do what it says yeah quite you might hope <laughs> <laughs> so we, we don't have very long left in this episode but hopefully we've got got a little bit of time to actually talk about properties <laughs> the actual houses <laughs> so where, where should we start let's start with the purple bricks house this this is a two-bed property. It's an old cottage. So it's you can see from its EPC that it's got single-skin walls in places. Going into it, though, it's very well presented inside. The, the current owners have decorated it very well. They've got a, a good kitchen set up in there. There's a little bit of an extension on the back, which is, is where the kitchen is. And they've, they've managed to squeeze everything into a fairly compact kitchen. They've got dishwasher in there, which is often important these days. But they've also got washing machine and a tumble dryer, all fitted very neatly into, into this kitchen space, as well as obviously cooker and hob and sink and all, all the, the normal things, as, and quite a bit of cupboard space too. So overall presented very well they've got a a fairly new boiler in there and again that's tucked away upstairs out of the way it's not taking up any room space they've put it in above the the stairs where you you really don't need or couldn't use that space in any other way overall it looks it's very well presented but it is an old property and obviously as as landlords these days we've got to be very aware of energy efficiency and epc requirements that are almost certainly coming down the lines for us, requiring relatively high levels, probably a, a C or above. 
And currently, as it stands, this property does not meet a C. And it would take some reasonable amount of effort to get it to meet a C. So I was sort of looking around and thinking, brilliantly decorated, but I probably need to rip a bunch of it out in order to add some insulation onto the walls <laughs> to, to bump up the VPC rating. As well as that, some of the insulation that would need improving would probably be in the roof. There, some of the property has got a, a normal pitched roof, but a couple of bits are flat roofs as well. And they're obviously a bit harder to add insulation to. And also looking out of the windows onto those flat roofs, you can see the neighbours have obviously repaired or replaced their flat roofs a lot more recently than on this property. The roofs don't look in bad condition, but they're certainly not not new. They would they could well need some some attention as well. So that's another bit of a concern. Something else going forwards that we, we've got to be aware of is perhaps fitting solar panels to improve the UPC and just to improve the, the energy efficiency within a, a property as well. And this property is an end of terrace. It's got a pitched roof, but it's a very low pitch. And because of it being on the end of terrace, it's got sort of three sides to, to the pitched roof. And they're all quite small. Obviously, the property itself is fairly small. And the original part of the property without the extension is is even smaller and the roof on it is quite small. And I don't think you you get a, a single solar panel on, on this roof sensibly. So a, again, that that's out. So that there's lots of things that would be a bit of a concern. And I think in order to make it an investment property, especially one that's sort of future-proofed, you'd have to put a reasonable amount of sort of refurbishment budget into it, not because it, it needs it from a decoration or, or living point of view, but because you're going to need to put that in from an efficiency an energy efficiency point of view to, to get it up to the required standards. And because of that, basically, it just doesn't work financially. Well, around the asking price, anywhere near the asking price, you, you just couldn't get a sensible return above sort of one, one and a half percent RRI, something like that. To get even up to sort of three percent RRI, you'd have to knock a, a good chunk off the asking price as you know, to 10, 15%. And I don't think that would be in any way feasible. So, so it wouldn't, wouldn't really work from that point of view. I thought quite interestingly, though, using some of Patma's research tools, I was able to find that the property next door to it is currently let. So that was an excellent example for working out the potential rent that could be achieved and also sort of the level of demand for it, because that property was was recently rented only a few months ago and it was only on the market for, for I think it was about 10 days less than two weeks anyway so it rented very quickly and I, I could see the, the rent that it, that it went for so it's high demand properties would rent well fairly good rent but but just overall concerned about potential repairs around flat roofs lack of or difficulty in improving the the energy efficiency of the property and the costs involved in that just didn't make it feasible so so that one had to be ruled out so we're gonna we're gonna move on quickly but one question i've got for you when you when you've got these thoughts so if we're going to boil it down essentially what we're saying is that there's there's, from your perspective too much investment to make this a viable too much capital required to make this a viable investment for you did you have that conversation with the agent so i don't think it would necessarily be too much capital and too, too much capital versus the return. So, so it did, 
the capital investment could could be done and could work out okay, but the return on that capital would then be too low. And, and yes, I did have that discussion with the agent. Um, so I mean, not on the the day when I was viewing because I hadn't worked all this out at that point. But a few days later, phoned him up and had a conversation, and, and obviously very understanding. And um, I did say that if if the vendors got super desperate and needed to or were able to accept a, a big reduction, then come back to me and let me know. And she said, yeah, that's not going to happen. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they said actually that some other potential investors who had viewed had reached the same conclusion. So that's good, good uh, validation. I think it's always good to have those conversations. I think the challenge is particularly when you're buying residential properties as opposed to, you know, where I might be buying existing tenanted or HMO properties, that you're always going to face that prospect and, and I faced it as well even with HMO properties where I said look you know that they, they, they had a property up for let's say 350 and I said but it needs at least 40 grand's worth of work so that's a that's 310 in my book you know if I just want to break even and at least then you know and the agent agrees with you and says yes actually three other people have said it so you know you're not silly but um, I think it's harder particularly when you're going to people that might be buying to move in because they might not want to do all of those things that you've just talked about but um Second house, top line summary, what are the reasons you decided not to purchase this? So again, really, it came down to, well, I was going to say it came down to the finances, but actual fact, it sort of didn't. It came down to how I wanted to structure my portfolio, really. So it's a very different house. The last one was two bedroom. This one was five, maybe six, depending on how you, you sort of arrange things. It's a much bigger property. Obviously, it's it's lived in, but it's lived in by a tenant. And go, going around the property, it's, it's a fairly new build, so it's about 15 years old, something something in that region. And going around the property, you, you can, whereas the first one was really well decorated, very nice throughout, just a couple of tiny bits that might have been improved, but otherwise very good. This one, there, there was skirting boards that needed fixing, the, even the, the front door frame needed a, a repaint, bits of paint peeling off and, and bits where the wood was exposed and things. And then looking around the property, there, there's lots of bits like that. The, the kitchen cupboards needed some fixing up. Some of the, the paintwork in various places needed sorting out. I mean, it, it's lived in by family. So there's sort of hand marks in, on paintwork here and there and everywhere. and Just lots of smallish bits that would at some point need sorting out. So obviously it's tenanted, so you probably wouldn't need to do them straight away, but you would at some point need to do them. Now it's a much bigger house, up for a, a much higher asking price. So the first one, I may as well mention the prices, was up for 385, and this one was up for 600. So it's a clearly a vastly different proposition. However, even allowing for a, a modest reduction to sort of keep a bit of money back for having to do these repairs and decorations and stuff at some point when the current tenant decided to leave. I think I allowed 15000 in, in my budget for that. So you'd need to reduce the price a little bit probably to, to allow for that and to to just sort of meet the the RI things I'm going to mention, but but not very much, not, not a big reduction. And because the tenants are there, you know exactly what the rent is. And it's actually quite a good rent. It's... You, you could purchase this property without much of an without much of a reduction from the asking price and get a good solid four and a half maybe five percent ROI 
on the, the money you have to put in, including setting some money aside for, for those repairs and sorting stuff out. And that's that's good. That's that's a better ROI than I would typically be expecting for the, the properties I'm looking at around this area. But it's a much bigger property. So the amount of money you would have to put in for deposit and stamp duty and what have you is also much bigger. And ultimately, while I could do that in this, this particular purchase cycle I'm looking at, I decided that I don't want to take my portfolio in that direction. It puts a lot more capital in a single basket rather than spreading the risk. It is also looking at a property that's much bigger and much rarer, but probably, I don't have particular evidence for this, but I, I imagine it must be really uh, a lower demand property as well. Because because there are so few properties of this size coming up for rent, I couldn't really find any good comparable evidence to find out how quickly they rent in the area or indeed other comparable rents. So it's just as well that there wasn't exact rent known. I think the two things together, the possible higher risk in actually finding tenants as and when there are voids, and the the fact that it would require more more of an asset in or more of a, a capital investment in a single asset, I decided to to not go down this this route and to focus more on the, the slightly smaller two, three bed properties that will probably give me a slightly lower ROI but will spread my risk a little bit more. So if and when they should become empty, the mortgage payments and the expenses and whatever during those void periods are obviously going to be much smaller and much more manageable as and when when that happens. Are these properties in the Brighton area on the, in, on the south coast? No, they're in the Red Hill area. And based on the numbers you've given, would, would you have been able to meet the rental criteria? In terms of the from the from a banking perspective, i.e., the five point five percent. Yes, so I wouldn't have been able to get seventy five percent loan to value mortgages on either of them because of the the rental cover requirements. Actually, I might have got close to that on the two bed if if it was at sold at a much lower price that I was thinking would would be needed. But no, the the bigger one, I think the the closest I could get was about seventy percent loan to value at a a small reduction and. And what have you on the on the asking? So yeah, not not the full potential there. Well, this that was a significant increase versus the previous. Well, basically a fifty percent value increase on the on the second property versus the first, and that brings to mind a number of questions. But we are reaching the end of the show. But I would like to ask people to to message in via at Biz of Property. We mentioned that at the start. Just uh, your thoughts about what Simon's looking at and any additions to what he might be thinking about. I know I've got a number of questions, particularly around amount of capital that would need to be invested and the percentage returns and why we might pick this. And of course we do because we're property people, but why we would pick this versus over other investments. We know that Simon's not going to invest in crypto, uh, huge amounts in crypto anytime soon based on his current experience, which we, which we won't go into. But please do reach out to us at Business Property to share your thoughts. Uh, sadly, we are at the, uh, the the end of the show, given that we've that we've run a bit over time. But hopefully, that's been of interest to go through the thought process about why Simon would or wouldn't pick uh, properties, and it probably will be something we come back to in a 
episode very, very soon. Until then, we'll see you in the next episode.